What a strange season of Lent this has been for me. I got the announcement of my being nominated for bishop at the beginning, and so it's, that was going to always be really weird. And then it's just continued. I was away from you last week preaching at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and let me say that they responded not only verbally to my sermon, but even got, got up at certain times. I didn't know that was a part of the, the black Baptist con, uh, tradition, but they would stand up when they particularly were agreeing with some. So if you feel led to stand up in the middle of the sermon, I won't be offended at all. It was, it was, it was like instant feedback. I loved it. So, But I love you guys, and it's good to be back with you and to be able to preach to you today on this last Sunday of Lent uh, as we get ready, for, when, I mean, we're not done with Lent, but we're going to head into Holy Week next Sunday, Palm Sunday. And so this is that last chance to really kind of collect ourselves and reflect on how Lent is going for us. So just, not, don't speak it out loud, but how is Lent going for you? How is it going in terms of your self-reflection and repentance and prayer and study and continuing to ask the Lord, Father, what do you want me to, what do you want me to learn through this season of Lent it's a great time to think about it here as we, you know, we, we come to the end. And our lectionary has given us these two wonderful, pa- well, given us some, all of the scripture is wonderful, but it's given us these really good, I think, passages to reflect on today. One from the gospel that I didn't intend to, to get teary-eyed, but, but one from the gospel with this parable that Jesus tells. And then also uh, what Paul says in the book of Philippians, the third chapter that's really what I want to focus on today, just for a few moments. Jesus is set towards Jerusalem. He has made his decision that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he knows that what he'll face in Jerusalem is crucifixion. They're going to kill him. There is no doubt about it. And all the Gospels line up and say he turned his face, he fixed his face towards Jerusalem and made up his mind to go there to die for us. In the response to the question that these, uh, these religious leaders ask once he gets to Jerusalem, whose authority do you do these things? He turns the tables on them and asks them about John the Baptist, and they can't answer. And he says, I'm not going to tell you whose authority, but let me tell you a story. And he tells the story that we just heard, the story of these wicked tenants. And it is so foreshadowing of what's going to happen, if, just so you don't miss it. The end, the, the master, the, the father sends his beloved son, reaching out mercy and grace to these wicked tenants that have beat and cast out three different servants that he sent. But of course, they don't receive the son even. They, they reject the son and take him outside of the vineyard and they kill him there because they don't want to pollute the vineyard with a dead body. So they take him outside the vineyard, and it's just so transparent what Jesus is talking about here. He knows he's going to be taken outside the city of Jerusalem and killed. Yeah. And so then we get the response from the Father, Jesus talking through the parable, and it's a parable of judgment. What will the master do when he he comes? He He will take away the vineyard from those who had it, and he will deal with them Judgment will follow those for whom there is no reception of the Son. To reject the Son is to bring upon ourselves judgment. The stone 
which the builders rejected, quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament, has become the cornerstone. It's become the foundation of all things, and Jesus is that cornerstone. Everyone who falls on it will be broken to pieces, and everyone on whom it falls will be crushed. If we reject the Son, we face the judgment of the Father. Well, that sets us up for walking through Holy Week, doesn't it? (laughs) The stakes are high. The stakes are high, and we have to give an account for our lives. That will be, that is what Jesus wants us to know. What will we do with the Son? Who do you say that I am, Jesus tells Peter. And where we stand with God is based upon answering that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, lots of judgment there, lots of, lots of concern, very sobering. Not a whole lot to unpack, frankly. It's just pretty much right there, isn't it? But I want to turn with you then to the passage from Philippians because I believe that we have in Paul's writing to the church at Philippi an alternative to facing that judgment, being broken or crushed by rejecting of the Son. And it comes for Paul in this little testimony he builds in to the middle of his letter to the Philippian church. And it is Paul trying to help them understand his past, his present, and his future. His past, his present, his future. And if you have the Bible there in front of you, if you have a Bible app, I would encourage you just to turn over to Philippians. And for the the kids in the congregation that I know it's hard to learn how to figure out the Bible, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Georgia Electric Power Company. Now, I realize I'm from Georgia, so that's why I would use G, but F does not G, so I'm sorry. But Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gators, there you go, Gators, Electric Power Company, if, you, if that helps you. But that helps you line up those four books. But turn over to the book of Philippians. And let's look at that. Thank you, Libby. What a prophetic word you spoke. I have no idea where you came up with that. Because Paul wants to put in, in, this, in this testimony of himself this alternative we have to facing the judgment from the Father because of our rejection of the Son. And, and just, to, just to point out, the, the tenants aren't upset about the killing of the son. They're upset that, that they might lose the property. <laughs> you see, the, the Jewish leaders realize that Jesus is speaking that against them. And he's, he's, he's indicating that there's a potential that they would lose the, the, the status and place of, of being God's special people in this very special place, Jerusalem, within the land of promise, Israel. They're responding. They, they know what Jesus is talking about. So, so Paul begins to talk about this alternative, though. Paul, who, of course, persecuted the church. Paul, who was a, uh, an enemy of Christians in his pursuit of being a faithful Jew. Zealous for the law, Paul tells us in these verses. Look at verses 4 through 6, where Paul describes his past. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Sounds very bragging, doesn't it? 
But Paul could back it up. Circumcised on the eighth day of the of people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, is Paul indicating that he was sinless? No, not at all. He was He's simply stating that in terms of keeping all of the laws of the Old Testament, he was without violation. He was able to keep the law, the externals of the law, perfect. Paul says, my past was built around a righteousness that I obtained on my own. My hard work. Now, he didn't have to work at becoming Hebrew and being Jewish. I mean, he was that by birth. But by being a Pharisee and being zealous for the Lord and trying to stamp out this blasphemy of Christianity and, and, of, and of all that he did there in terms of keeping the law, Paul says, I, I did it all perfectly. I, I had a righteousness in my own that was, that was spotless. And here Paul is thinking about the people that he's been warning the church of Philippi about, those who in their own attempts, they've been trying to sort of, sort of discourage the Philippians from, from seeking after a, a righteousness that is by faith in Christ and keeping the law perfectly. They want, they want these Gentile believers in Jesus to be circumcised, first of all, and then to begin to live perfectly under the law of Israel. And Paul says, look, I did that to a T. I, I did that as well as anybody could possibly do that. That was my past. I had this righteousness that I had attained. And, and it's so much like these, these landowners, that these land tenants in the story, and, and Jesus realizing that the religious, religious leaders get it because they realize that they really do believe in their hearts. We deserve to have this land. How dare you give a prophetic parable that would suggest that we would lose what is ours. It is ours. It is our right, and you'll never take it from us. I think as Americans, we can relate to this, right? I mean, because that's sort of an American spirit as well in terms of what, what is ours is ours and, uh, you know, you'll take it from my dead cold hands, right? That's kind of our attitude for things, right? We've, we've got it, we've got control of it, which is why they would probably say, well, the, the son in the parable deserved to die. He shouldn't have put himself in harm's way. The father shouldn't have sent the son. He should have known what was going to happen to him. And it's this self-righteousness that, come, that boils up in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, those religious leaders that hear and respond so violently towards Jesus' suggestion that they would lose their inheritance. We so want to be self-justified, don't we? To be right in our own minds. During our clergy day, we had Thursday and Friday over in Tallahassee. It was brought up this idea that, that we really want to see, like, justice. We want to see the perpetrator in handcuffs with Sergeant Harris dragging them away to jail. We want to see justice done, right? We were right. I always had a worry about that guy. There was something about him that didn't, didn't set right with me, and now I know I'm right. We're so much less interested in restoration and redemption, we want to see, we want to be proven right. 
I think it's what we see going on in social media these days. It's, it's these, you know, I want to make sure my truth is out there and I'm right about these things and I can be vindicated. See, I told you this is what would happen. Whatever our position. Friends, that's the righteous spirit that comes from our own self-reflection on ourselves. It's, it's about being righteous on our own merit. And Paul says, that was my past. But look at what Paul says next. And I hope you can make that connection. I want to move quickly here, but I, I hope you can make that connection because it's, it really is about this righteousness that Paul believed that he was, he was so, so right in terms of all the things that these, that these enemies of the church in Philippi are, are espousing and are, are seeking to bring about in Philippi. Paul says, I did that perfectly. But then look what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul's, Paul's not saying, you know, everything good in my life I count as a, as a waste. It's, you can't too broadly hear. Paul's not saying everything, everything's bad except for Jesus, you know. I mean, ever been in a religious situation where it felt like that? Like, so I'm supposed to just sit around singing on clouds with a harp, you know, eternity. That's, that's sort of what, what, what life's supposed to be like. I'm supposed to forsake. No, that's, that's actually anti-material. That's actually wrong. Jesus will redeem the heavens and the earth, and we will enjoy everything good about being human just with the absence of, of sin in our lives. There will be a, a redemption of all things. No, what Paul is talking about is everything that I counted for my self-righteous gain, I now count as loss. All the things I did to try to build a perfect resume to say, look at who I am, look at what I've accomplished, look at how deserving I am of your respect and God's blessing, I now count as loss. He goes even further to say that, and and the ESV kind of cleans it up. He says, but, he says, indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ for his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is sort of a, an English way of saying landfill garbage. It's rubbish. Some people say it's even further than that, but it seems to me like that there's, because he's referencing these, these dogs earlier in the verses, these, these Judaizers that are trying to get the people in Philippi to, to come back under the law, that there's probably a, a relationship to this idea that, you know, where you have a landfill, I'm looking to our, our environmental scientists, when you have a landfill, I imagine there's some sort of like rodents or animals, maybe even, I don't know, in some countries, dogs that sort of are in there nibbling at the scraps and the leftovers. I'm getting the thumbs up from Justin, so I feel like I'm on good ground here. Paul says, all those things that I used to build up my resume of self-righteousness, I now count as loss. They are, they are a landfill garbage. And Paul says, I'm no longer interested in my self-righteousness, improving myself on my own merits before God. I count it as loss. But don't lose verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all these things. Paul is saying, and this passage is really about 
knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. J.I. Packer, the famous Anglican priest of the last century, talked, wrote a book on knowing God. And he, he made a case that, that all of Scripture, but particularly the Old Testament, is focused on this desire to know God. To know him as he truly wants to be known and will be revealed in the pages of, of sacred scripture. And so we, we, we know God. Our whole worship service is built around this idea. We, we're called to worship. We have God's word revealed. And then we respond to that word through prayer and communion. And then we respond to the call. Having been seen God revealed and responded to him, then we go forward to do the work he's called us to do, to love and serve. It's where our whole worship service is, 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 is laid out, is that we would, we would see God, that we would know God. And, and Paul says, for me, I have, I've come to know Christ, to know God in Jesus Christ. And the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ makes all the things I did to try to make myself look self-righteous and to build my resume look like garbage dump. Landfield trash. Building up greenhouse gases out there. Which is why I now don't do that anymore. Sorry, just got, had to say that real quick. It just kind of got in my, my mind. So that is, that is the present for Paul. I want to know Christ To know him is to respond to him. To know Christ is to respond to him. Is to is to to, you know is is to come to that realization that 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 Jesus is telling this parable about himself and that he's willing to be that beloved son who goes in to extend mercy to these land tenants, even though he knows he's going to be rejected and killed. To know that that is the heart of God. That's how far God will go to extend mercy and grace to you. Is to become transformative in your life. It's like the parables that he tells about, you know, the, the, the pearl of great price or the, you know, the, the guy that finds the hidden treasure and he goes and he sells everything and he goes after that treasure. He, he's willing to give everything to buy this pearl of great price. Jesus, to know Christ, Paul says, is, is, it surpasses all things. And it lays aside all of my attempts to try to become righteous before you and to live on my own merit. It even calls us to be willing to look at his suffering. Look at verse 10. That I may know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means possible may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says to know Christ is to begin to understand the power of his resurrection, to begin to see the works of God's redeeming and, and, and restoration in the lives around us. And if you've walked with Christ, your, your experience has to be that you've seen Christ moving mightily in the lives of other people, people that you, 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 you would not expect, you know, and, and this happened to me just a couple of days ago. I, I was saying, you know, so-and-so is, you know, and I, I, I said what was going on in this person's life. And they're like, 
oh my gosh, really? And I was like, yes, look at the transformation that's taking place in this person's life and the way God is working in them and restoring in them and renewing them. And, and, and it's, it's, you've seen the power of the resurrection in the lives of people. I've seen it in the life of this parish over the last 19 and a half years. Now, we're not thousands here gathered, but, but, but there are people that are spiritually connected to one another and have built community and love and care for each other. And God is in the process of bringing new people and into this community and doing amazing things in their lives and renewing and strengthening them and, and moving them from lowly little college students into working professionals and all sorts of things in between. And it's the power of the resurrection. It's why we love to hear testimonies, right? We love to hear about the work God has done in people's lives. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, my present isn't simply just the power of the resurrection, but I also want to know Christ through knowing his suffering. May I share in his suffering. May I, becoming like him in his death that I might by any means possible attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says to know Christ is to actually be willing to enter into his suffering. It's no surprise to me that the church universally doesn't really like to walk through Holy Week. Michael Mayo can spin it as the Super Bowl for Anglicans, but let's be honest, right? It's just easily avoided. Let's just get through the, the bloody ugliness of the crucifixion and then just get on to Easter. And sadly, we see it happening in our culture. Easter is backing up. I don't know if you've noticed it, but Easter is backing up. It had backed up to Saturday, and now it seems to be backing up to Friday night. We're going we're gonna to have a whole weekend celebration of Easter. But we can't come to the resurrection until we go through the cross. It's the way of the Christian. It's the way of Christ. It's, it's how we become like Christ. It's how we know Christ, not simply in his victorious resurrection, but in his suffering and death. So it's walking, it's being willing to walk through and recount but it's also the opportunity to see in our own lives and in the tragedies of our own lives as opportunities to also see Christ's redemptive work. We're going to suffer either way, but we can suffer complaining, kicking our, kicking our feet like my three-year-old grandson pitching a temper tantrum, or we can say, Lord, I'm going to embrace the suffering that you've allowed me to walk through and look for your redemptive purpose in it. Paul says to know Christ is to, to know the power of his resurrection in this world, in this time now, but, but it's also to be willing to walk with him, to know him in his suffering. And this is the hard part of being a Christian, of walking through suffering even taking on the time suffering to know Christ. Not just to get to heaven, but to know Christ more fully. It's loving somebody and being sacrificial towards them, even though they're that 
extra grace required person that's going to drain you as much as you're going to be blessed by serving them. It's, it's the being willing to take on responsibility for something that you could say no to, but that you know Christ has called you to that will be hard. Can I just say that the, the thought of becoming a bishop, is that work for me? This, if, in case you didn't read my letter, I have no desire to be a bishop. I don't like purple. I don't like wearing stupid hats. I, and I sure as heck don't want to leave this community to go try to oversee 43 communities. But I want to know Christ. And like Paul, that means that, that I, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know him in his suffering. That, that just came out. It wasn't in my notes. Well, just to wrap up, Paul says, not just my past, not just my present, but my future. Paul, at the end of verse 10, what does it mean that, that or verse, you know, that uh, verse 11 actually, what does it mean by any means possible that I may obtain the resurrection? Is Paul worried that he's not going to make it into heaven? He's not going to see the resurrection? No, Paul is, Paul is simply saying there that he says that that hasn't helped, happened yet. He's showing humility, but his hope is in the resurrection. But the resurrection hasn't occurred. You remember, there were some Christians in the early church, we talked about this in our Corinthians class on Wednesday nights, that there were some who thought that, that resurrection was all about sort of internally happening and that it already incurred. And, and yet for us as Christians, the creed will say us a couple, tell us in a couple of minutes, no, we believe in a bodily resurrection, that, that the foretaste of the power of the resurrection in this life is simply that. It's a foretaste of God's actual physical bodily resurrection of each of us to be with him eternally to be with Christ you say well how can a loving God send people to hell but if C.S. Lewis says but if but if you don't want to be with Christ then heaven would be miserable for you because it's going to be focused on the lamb who was slain who is the lion of Judah who was willing to go through the suffering of the cross that he might take us into the resurrection of his new life. Paul says, my future is fixed on where I'm headed. Where I'm going. And that is where I'm fixing my eyes. That I might obtain the goal The upward call in Christ Jesus. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, Paul says, Jesus Christ has made me his own. Friends, today, if you don't know that Christ has made you his own, then cry out to him because that is his desire. He desires mercy, not judgment. But Paul says, I know that I've been made Christ's own, and therefore I, I press on that I may, that I may that not that I am perfect, but that I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. See, this is where in a black church people would begin to stand up, Okay. I press on towards the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says, I'm willing to walk through the suffering. I'm willing to identify with Christ in his death because I know that through his death comes his resurrection and so it will be for me. And so forgetting what lies behind and pressing on what's towards ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. In other words, if you can't get this, I'm right, eventually you'll figure it out. That's kind of what Paul's saying there. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. Forgetting the past. Forgetting the successes of the past and the failures of the past. Your past doesn't define you. Christ defines you. Your present doesn't define you. Christ defines you. Your future is not resting upon your good acts and deeds. Christ defines your future. If you've held on to him, if you've reached out to him and said, Lord, I have have spent my life living it my way, making my resume, justifying myself to the world, And I realize how far short that falls. Will you justify me? Not by my works, but by my faith in you. By your work on the cross on my behalf. And Lord, if you'll do that, I will spend my life not focused on the past, but focused on your future. Pressing on towards the upper call in Christ Jesus. This morning... Friends, as we come to the end of Lent, next week, Palm Sunday, as we walk through the week of Holy Week with with the Lord, let me challenge you. Are you clinging to your own self-righteousness? Are you still trying to justify yourself before God and for men. Secondly, have you recommitted to knowing God through Christ? Are you seeking to really know Christ in his fullness? Or are you dissatisfied? You know, I know, I know him enough. Paul says he's willing to give everything up to know Christ more. Personally and relationally, there's no better place in time to recommit yourself than on Holy Week. Third, are you avoiding the suffering that God is calling you to walk through? Are you allowing God to show you his redemptive purpose for that suffering? Or are you just kicking and complaining like a three-year-old? And I have direct experience because I spent yesterday with that three-year-old. It's not a pretty picture, but it also was a mirror to me to say, are you, Alex, are you kicking and screaming or are you accepting the suffering that I'm calling you to walk through? Lastly, are you committed to pressing on with Christ? Are you willing and ready to pursue the upward call? There is no coasting in the Christian life. You're either going forward or you're rolling back. And Paul calls us to press on. To press on. To know Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, that, that you would allow me to be with this people and to share hard words and to be challenged in each of us, Lord, by your word is a privilege and it is a recognition that your spirit is at work in us. Lord, I pray that you will continue the work in each person here. And Father, that we would seek to know you more fully through this holy week. We thank you for the season of Lent. We thank you for the preparation work it does in our hearts and lives. And we recommit to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.